You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. An Amazon-style fulfillment model for the criminal-to-criminal market. Criminals have Facebook groups, too, and lots of friends. Friends here being a term of art. Xiaomi patches man-in-the-middle problems in its phones. Defense firms organize a supply chain security task force. Congress would like FEMA to explain its privacy incident. Alleged card skimmers are arrested on other charges in Mexico. The U.S. State Department's Rob Strayer joins us to talk international negotiations about 5G security. And Mr. Assange remains in Ecuador's London embassy, at least for now. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, April 5th, 2019. There's a great deal of reporting on the criminal underground, and it's no longer surprising to see the ways in which criminal markets resemble legitimate markets. Earlier this week, for example, researchers at security firm Bromium described a collection of servers thought to be run by the masters of the Necker's botnet. Dark Reading calls the criminal operation an Amazon-style fulfillment model, Bromium says the servers belong to bulletproof hosting providers owned by Frantech Solutions. Many of those servers are located in the U.S. state of Nevada. This particular operation uses over a dozen U.S.-based servers that host 10 malware families, distributing them for the most part in mass-marketing phishing campaigns. Some of the malware families are familiar, the Drydex Banking Trojan, Gandcrab Ransomware, and the Neutrino Exploit Kit are among them, Bromium believes it sees evidence of three distinct threat actors. One is responsible for email and hosting, and the other two operate the malware itself. Researchers at Cisco Talos report this morning that criminal groups are working openly on Facebook, connecting, trading, and cooperating. Their activity isn't hidden, but rather quite overt. Some of the groups have been operating for as long as eight years, in the process attracting tens of thousands of members. Cisco Talos says they've been able to track 74 criminal groups operating in this more or less open fashion. The members of the groups promised to do what Talos calls an array of questionable cyber dirty deeds. Those would include delivering spamming tools and services, selling and trading stolen pay card information, and stealing and selling account credentials. The group's membership in the aggregate, Talos estimates, at 385,000. Checkpoint yesterday announced its discovery of a man-in-the-middle vulnerability in a security application that comes pre-installed with Xiaomi phones. 
Checkpoint disclosed the issue responsibly, and Xiaomi has patched the problem. The U.S. Defense Industrial Base Sector Coordinating Council announced today that it had chartered a new group to work on ways of thwarting threats to the supply chain. The Supply Chain Cybersecurity Industrial Task Force is an example of the sort of sector coordinating council U.S. policy for protection of critical infrastructure encourages. The five founding members of the task force are familiar names, big defense integrators all, BAE Systems, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, and Raytheon. Their initial focus will be on advanced persistent threat tactics, that is, the ways in which nation-states attempt to compromise networks, devices, and supply chains, on enhancing oversight and accountability, and on establishing enduring industry-government partnerships. The U.S. House Committee on Science, Space, and Technology has asked the Federal Emergency Management Agency, that's FEMA, to explain how FEMA lost control of disaster victims' private information. The members want FEMA to explain how the whole thing happened, what effect the incident had on the victims, and what exactly FEMA intends to do to prevent a recurrence. Reuters reports that some of the evidence the U.S. collected against Huawei CFO Meng Wanzhou was gathered under Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act warrants, charged by the U.S. with sanctions violations. Ms. Meng is in Canada fighting extradition. Krebs on Security reports that the alleged head of a Romanian ATM skimming gang has been arrested in Mexico. The police, who picked the gentleman and alleged confederate up in Cancun, didn't reveal their names, but Krebs thinks they're Florian the Shark Tudor and his sometime colleague Nicolae Kozman. The beef in Cancun over was an illegal firearm and $26,000 in Mexican and U.S. currency the pair had no particularly good explanation for having in their possession. The two are believed by Romanian and U.S. investigators to be strong-arming ATM technicians into installing skimmers into ATMs around Mexican tourist spots like, for example, Cancun. WikiLeaks has been tweeting that Ecuador is getting ready to show Julian Assange the door, inviting him to depart that country's London embassy. Mr. Assange could be back on the street in hours to days if the Twitter feed is to be believed. Mr. Assange's lawyers maintain his eviction would contravene international law and that Ecuador is only doing it because they're embarrassed by WikiLeaks's release of documents that purport to show corrupt knuckling under to American pressure and other stuff. Ecuador's foreign ministry says that rumors of expulsion are old and insulting to boot, but that Mr. Assange has been a bit of a pest in violation of protocol, as they put it. For its part, the UK foreign ministry says, hey, Mr. Assange is a free man and can come and go as he pleases. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. 
So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's a senior law and policy analyst at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Ben, it's great to have you back. Uh, interesting story came by from Motherboard. Uh, the title is, Dozens of Cities Have Secretly Experimented with Predictive Policing Software. This sounds to me like something out of a movie. What are we talking about here? So this is done through a company called PredPol, or actually a software called PredPol, I should say. Stands for predictive policing. Uh, it does sound rather Orwellian, uh, and it is in use. We've we found out based on this motherboard article in major cities across the country. Some big ones like Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, some medium-sized ones, Modesto and Merced, California, and some smaller-sized ones, South Jordan, Utah. How it works is it gives police data based on previous crime and arrest reports as to the likeliness that a crime is going to be committed in a particular geographical area. And they now have the technology to limit that area to a 500 by 500 foot section of a city, hmm. which is, you know, relatively small. I don't know what the size of your house is, but yeah. <laughs> that would probably, uh, you know, be the length and width of, of an average house. Yeah, I mean, a city block for sure. So obviously this presents major civil liberties concerns, particularly because of the inputs. The data that goes in to these predictive policing softwares isn't unbiased, isn't generated by a computer. It's based on past police reports that the, uh, themselves have been subject to all sorts of biases, racial biases, hmm. geographical biases. And if that's the data that's being fed into this predictive tool, then the data coming out will also reflect that bias. Hmm. Uh, you know, you understand it from a law enforcement perspective because, at least the way they see it, if there's a particular city block or a particular area that has seen high crime activity in the past, right, it's more likely that you're going to see high crime activity in the future. That's the part that that uh, I'm not clear on because I can certainly see the police department getting together and saying, uh, "All right, everybody, you know, we we know that uh, you know New Year's Eve down by the docks is always a hot spot, so we're going to send." Some more officers over there that time and place. And I don't think anybody has a problem with that. Right. And I think to the extent that that's how it's used, I think that would be acceptable. Hmm. I think predictive policing for sort of broad trends, knowing the neighborhoods that are particularly high crime might have uh, beneficial use without some of these civil liberties drawbacks. When you get really granular down to the city block level, then you worry about individuals who have been subject to the biases of past reporting 
now being on constant watch and possibly um, being subject to false arrest, uh, undue prosecution, just because they happen to be located in an area that's previously been subject to police reports. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I think organizations like the Electronic Frontier Foundation, who've come out strongly against these types of, of software, those are the, the concerns that they've expressed, that if the inputs are not free from bias, then certainly the outputs are going to be not free from bias. I think this is your classic balancing of how much we want to protect the civil liberties of individuals who happen to live in these areas uh, of high crime. Obviously, they're going to be disproportionately poor and disproportionately minority groups. So you're balancing that interest against the interest of public safety. You know, I think that's that's a really tough balance to strike. You end up with uh, some kind of a feedback loop, perhaps. Absolutely. And then that gets fed into future reports. It also could perpetuate you know, the reputations of various neighborhoods, and that in turn could could lead to more crime in the future. Hmm. So I think it might actually, as you say, have that feedback loop. Uh, feedback loop. All right. Well, it's interesting uh, technology. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. My guest today is Rob Strayer. He's Deputy Assistant Secretary at the U.S. State Department for Cyber and International Communications Policy. He heads up a team of diplomats and public servants developing Internet and cybersecurity policy and leading negotiations with foreign governments worldwide. One of the issues at the top of mind these days is the imminent rollout of 5G technology. So we're talking to a number of countries about how very important it is that we consider security and adopting a risk-based security framework as telecom operators in their countries implement 5G infrastructure. And in particular, we've asked them to focus on the supply chain security issue as well uh, as part of that overall risk-based assessment of the, the infrastructure. Uh, we're particularly focused, too, in talking about how we have a concern uh, about the ability of a government to influence uh, vendors within a country to either uh, disrupt communications, to uh, alter the integrity of the data, or to conduct espionage through the 5G infrastructure if it's not made secure and done with uh, truly trustworthy vendors. And specifically, uh, we're, we're talking about Huawei here and uh, the efforts to keep some of Huawei's equipment out of the build-outs for 5G around the world. Right. Well, I would say that, you know, our focus is on a sort of country agnostic framework that we say, you know, that relationship between a government and the companies within that uh, country, uh, if, it's, if it's governed by a relationship where there's not strong rule of law presence, 
and companies are subject to extrajudicial mandates where they cannot go to court and say that we are governed by a statute and laws that, that uh, require us to uh, protect uh, citizens' rights, to op- operate in ways that are above board, then we think there are substantial concerns potentially with the vendor. Uh, Huawei, uh, currently in the legal regime in China, would fit that, uh, that categorization in our view. That is correct. And so why the concern over the 5G build-out specifically? As part of our discussions about the need to have security related 5G, unlike 4G, where most of the focus has been on uh, just the availability of communications and availability of uh, being able to use applications uh, largely through our smartphones, you know, 5G will be completely transformative in the amount of and types of applications that will be made uh, available through the 5G infrastructure with its uh, very high throughput rates and very low latency. So, of course, that includes telemedicine automated manufacturing, and all of the Internet of Things uh, world that we know will be empowered. So uh, there, the stakes that uh, related to 5G couldn't be higher in the sense of all the uh, sort of vital applications that we will be relying on it for uh, become that much more critical and uh, would put um, all of us in a sort of a collective security interest at risk and our collective economic interests much more at risk uh, if they could be disrupted or the data that's flowing over those systems disrupted through a cyber means. And how successful are you as you travel around the globe getting other nations on board? You know, if you looked a year ago, we had, uh, I think, a very nascent understanding of what 5G was going to be about, what 5G is going to develop into. And certainly there was not an appreciation of the potential security risks related to the availability of the applications to the integrity of the data and to uh, potential espionage related that could occur through 5G networks. So as we've done a vigorous campaign around the world to talk to governments about our concerns, as well as to talking to the private sector, I've not heard a country or entity within a country not acknowledge that there is a 5G uh, security concern that they're now focused on. So I think we've had a great success in raising that awareness And where does the U.S. stand in terms of its ability to lead right now when it comes to the global conversation on cybersecurity? I think we're in a great position. Our uh, Secretary of State, uh, Secretary Pompeo, has been very engaged in raising this issue with his counterparts around the globe. We have a number of ambassadors that are talking to their host governments uh, about the issue. We've got diplomats in in posts around the world who are articulate about the uh, digital economy and cybersecurity portfolios that they have they sort of amplify the work that we're doing here in Washington on a continuous basis with uh, the host governments. And, you know, in the last you know, few weeks, we've seen announcements by Germany talking about uh, announcing they're going to have uh, stronger standards for 5G security. We've seen the European Union, both through a resolution in their parliament and then a council decision that res- resulted in a recommendation by the European Union Commission just this week on improving supply chain security related to 5G. And the European Union, in fact, said that they need to look at the legal system of that uh, of third countries where the vendors are located. And, and as you look forward, what are the biggest challenges that, that you see the State Department facing when it comes to cybersecurity? You know, there's a constant need for us to be able to articulate our vision for a stable cyberspace, which includes the importance, the applicability of international law to cyberspace that applies in, in cyber activities, just as it does in, in the physical world and that uh, countries should not be able to act in ways that undermine independence of other countries 
or what we call violate the principle of non-intervention, which would be obviously implicated when you interfere with the elections of another country. It's also important we just keep talking about these norms of responsible state behavior and what they mean. There's a reality that some countries are going to see it in their interest to act in ways that use cyber as an asymmetric tool that advance their interests, but of course violate these norms of responsible state behavior. So we need to educate other countries about the importance of these norms and how we need to work together uh, to hold accountable those states that would act contrary to those norms. There's tremendous legitimacy when we act together to attribute and uh, eventually bring consequences to bear against nations that act contrary to those norms of responsible state behavior. That's Rob Strayer, Deputy Assistant Secretary at the U.S. State Department for Cyber and International Communications Policy. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Vaughn, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.